0: we are continuing in our series in the Psalms of Ascent, these psalms that the, the Israelites would sing on their journeys to go to the festivals in Jerusalem up into that high city. And they would sing these psalms, and they would become part of their lives, part of their souls, and themselves, they, these psalms were songs that are a class in discipleship and what it means to follow God. And this morning, we're going to be talking about Psalm 132. Now, some of these psalms just kind of, they, they, they just are right there in front of us uh, as to the depths of their meaning. But others, we've got to dig a little deeper to see what's going on here. And this is one of those psalms for us. But as we come to it, let's listen to it and know this is the Word of God. Listen now to the Word of God. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to "'to my eyelids, until I find a place for the Lord, "'a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. "'Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah, "'we found it in the fields of Jaar. "'Let's go to his dwelling place. "'Let us worship at his footstool. "'Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, "'you and the ark of your might.'" Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray. Lord, guide us, guide us as we consider your word, and not just its meaning, but its spirit's work in each of our lives. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This psalm is about obedience, obedience what true obedience is and looks like and, and what it's sourced in. Now, when I hear the word obedience, I think of rules and, and doing everything you're supposed to do and, and doing nothing that you're not supposed to do. I also think of a, a friend, Brent and a discussion I remember long ago in my backyard in Buffalo. And first, you have to know that Brent was an, a, a no-nonsense truck-driving volunteer fireman whose whole family background was military officers, and he, he'd be proud of that description. And about half-dozen of us were sitting in our backyard and talking about whether we were in-the-box people or out-of-the-box people or one foot in the box or one foot out of the box. And Brent, without hesitation, said, I'm the guy who arrests the people getting out of the box. And, And all of us, we couldn't stop laughing and smiling, mostly because he had captured himself perfectly and owned it. And I still remember that moment today. And Brent is a great guy who is all about obedience. And when I hear that word obedience, I I think of Brent. He's a rule follower and a a rule enforcer. On the other side of the spectrum, I I think of, uh, you know, the, the, the creative, and the spiritual, and the sometimes needy, and kind of go-where-the-wind-blows sort of person. And for them, it's not about obedience or rules. I've heard the notion throughout my life for a long time now, and, and I hear it even more now the, nowadays, that one of the least spiritual places that people consider going in our world The least spiritual places the 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 least genuine heartfelt spiritual places that we can go in our society honestly is a church and i think of the notion i think the notion is that in in churches the the um what people think about churches is that we're all about obedience but we're not about people crying out to god or, or about people searching for God and his leading. Rather, we're just about the rules. And, and, and so when I think about crying out in desperation, I don't think of a church, I think of battlefields. Battlefields are where people are, that's where they're really crying out to God, in desperation. And when I think of people hearing the voice of God and being led by their dreams, I could also think of mental wards. And mental wards of hospitals are where people are, are really having visions and dreaming dreams, and God is talking to them. And church, very often in our culture, is seen as where people, more honestly, are stuck in the mud. Especially Presbyterians, we are, you know, I've said it before, we're known as God's frozen chosen. And we're petrified, and we're unmoving and shooting at anyone getting out of the box and just doing the same things over and over again because that's the way you do it. And we've always done it like this. It's not the place of desperate cries to God or visions and dreams. That's, but I got to say, I don't believe that's true of this congregation but i do think that's a characterization of our, our society's characterization of church today rightly or wrongly but on the other hand i also don't know anyone believer or not who wants to go to a battlefield or to a mental ward battlefields they're the most unstable places that we could possibly be i i, I would love to go spend time in israel but not right now. And we want some stability, but without getting petrified. And, and mental wards are more about hallucinations than they are healthy dreams and creativity. And we want to be moving. We want to be moving toward a vision without them being false hallucinations. And that leaves us with this psalm, which sets the course for biblical, real obedience that's not stuck in the mud on one hand and is not hallucinatory on the other. This psalm shows where there is stability and adventure, where there is a maturity that keeps our feet on the ground and a childlikeness that is ready to make a leap of faith into our father's arms this psalm it comes to us in two halves the first when we look at this psalm the first half we see that obedience has a history the first half of the psalm roots us this is what we see by looking at the past we are grounded and stable in what God has done. Specifically, this psalm looks back at the Ark of the Covenant and David's promise and work to make a place for the Ark at the center of everything, at the center of this country that they're building. This Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, it is a literal box made by the Israelites as a symbol of God's presence with them and over them. And when I looked at the dimensions of the ark, it, I realized it was rough, roughly the, the same size as the desk as I was sitting at as I wrote the sermon. It, it, it's even a little smaller than the communion table right before us. And, and the people who made the ark had the literal Memories of God delivering them miraculously through the Red sea, the parted Red Sea out of slavery from Egypt. And this box symbolizes and carries the, the very presence of God with them. It symbolizes their relationship with, with Him and His salvation for them. It reminds them. Who they are. And as we saw last week, we know who we are by our relationship with the one who made us and loves us and saves us. And the, this box is a key to them knowing who they are. And now they have this box that gets passed down through the generations. This is. David's talking, they're talking about David 400 years after this box was built. And through those generations, they've misused it and disrespected it a couple times in their history, and things didn't go well. But David found it in a small town and famously brought it to a more stable home in Jerusalem. And he danced along the way kind of made me think of uh, Reuben standing next to me. And when people saw this box and, and the eventual temple that housed that box, or they thought about it, or in this psalm of ascent they sang about this box, they would remember God's presence and acts among them. And it would root them in who God is and in who they are, and God's call to them, a call of obedience. Obedience is rooted in history, in the history of what God has already done for us. Eugene Peterson says this about it, This history is important, for without it we are at the mercy of whims. Memory is the data bank we use to evaluate our position and make decisions. With a biblical memory, we have 2,000 years of experience from which to make the -the off-the-cuff responses that are required each day in the life of faith. If we're going to live adequately and maturely as the people of God, We need more data to work from than our own experience can give us. History roots us. And for most of us, our our personal histories have come to make us who we are for good or for ill. For believers, biblical history roots us much deeper in our relationship to God, but also showing us our relationship with each other in the world as well it shows us who we are so biblical history roots us and and it guides us in in what works and what doesn't work even in our world today and so we look back and see who god is and who we are and that guides us in obedience but We're not just a people who are always just looking back. Part of the story of what happened back then is what God has promised us. Some of those promises have been fulfilled in the past. Many of those promises are, are yet to come. This psalm is not just about obedience coming out of our past from God, it is about our hope for the future. Hope. Hope is is a race toward the promises of God. Psalm 132 doesn't just leave us rooted in, in, in the past. The second half of the psalm launches us into the future as well. The Bible looks back, but not for the purposes of going back. When it looks back, there's never a sense of the good old days. There's no nostalgia in looking back in Scripture, partly because it sees not just God's faithfulness, but it, but it highlights our own sin. And the days weren't all good, but we look back because it roots us so that we can look forward with hope in the promises of God. Some of that we can look back on and see God's faithfulness in, in the promises of God already fulfilled this the second half of the psalm talks about the promise of of them being one who is faithful and sits on david's throne we know who that is jesus was born to the house of david and he sits on that throne forever many but some of those promises many of them are are still in our future and God's faithfulness is constant. All the verb tenses in the in the second half of the psalm are, are future. I will bless the city and make it prosperous. Of Zion here, I will dwell. I, you can think of the heavenly Jerusalem. Come to us where there's no more crying or pain, but it is lit by the the presence of the glory of God. I will satisfy the poor with food. I think of Jesus teaching us to pray for our daily bread. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but he will be a glorious king. All that is wrong and defies goodness will not defy Jesus our king, in the end. But he will triumph and remain our majestic and holy Lord forever. Obedience is, is moving forward to our hope in the promises of God. If the, if the direction for obedience comes from looking back, the fuel for it comes from looking forward with hope. And that gets us, all of that, gets us out of stuck and running and flying toward our hoped-for future. Again, Peterson says, Psalm 132 cultivates a hope that gives wings to obedience, a hope that is consistent with the reality of what God has done in the past, but is not confined to it. All the expectations listed in Psalm 132 have their origin in, in accurately remembered past, but they are not simply repetitions of the past projected into the future. They are developments out of it with new futures of our own. We, we are writing new chapters in the story of God's kingdom come. So, obedience and hope. Obedience is not some stuffy, stuck-in-the-mud, living-in-the-past petrification. It is a rootedness in our real past. And if we can look back in our history, in the world's history, in biblical history, and see God working, we will know the roots of obedience. And will be able to look forward with hope. And this hope is not a a hallucinatory delusion of my fears and desires and will projected into the future. When it is rooted in the past and the promises of God, it gives direction and a goal. And the wings of faith to fly toward it. That is obedience. So, what does all this look like in us? When people look around, any of us, in here or anywhere, when they look around, what do they see? Some people look into their lives, and, and unfortunately, they only see devastation and find it hard to see anything else. I think we all know people like that. Find it hard to believe and, and hard to trust whether it's being overwhelmed by their own sin or the sin of others imposed upon them, whether in recent days they've seen images coming out of Israel of cruelty and evil and it haunts them, some can't see past these personal or world images and see anything of God or trust anyone else or trust a future with hope. But the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith look back and see God working redemption. See it in the Bible. Though sin had come into the world and reaped devastation and, and at all levels, and, and, and it still does, God has been working to redeem his people and his creation. He sent his son to die for us. And our sins on the cross, and the sun rose again to new life, and promises new life to all who trust him for it. And the eyes of, see, of faith also see God working today. In their lives and in today's world, devastation still troubles us personally and globally. But as Paul with eyes of faith said for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison seeing God behind us grounds us in obedience to trust in and move forward in hope toward the fulfillment of God's promises in the future I want to think of a particular instance of all this now and it has to do with us as a church as new hope church my title here right now is transitional pastor and we are as a church are in a time of looking forward hopefully to a new pastor's long tenure to come and the transition is a time particularly a time of looking back and looking forward when you look back at New Hope, what do you see? No church is perfect. It's, it's full of sinful people, as is New Hope. And for some, in many cases, looking back is painful. But I hope you can look back and see God working in and through people's lives here, even with our imperfections and sins. Thursday night, a, couple, a few nights ago, the session gratefully and enthusiastically received the work of the vision team. And all the vision team has been is an effort of obedience, to be obedient to God's leading. Kim, Kim Sanders-Walthus, who's on the team, uh, she, she introduced a part of our presentation to the session saying that the bulk of the work that we did was to listen listen by looking back back to the word of god letting it surround the site of everything that we were looking at but also look back at the history of our church and and our people we also listened by looking around around at our church and who we are now, but also around at our community and what it is now. And finally, also to listen by looking forward to where we believe God is leading us as a church. All of this is is to launch us in obedience to God's leading. I'm I'm excited to share this vision with you in the coming weeks. In, In a few weeks, we'll have a special meeting to sit down and talk about it. But this same process of listening back and trusting forward is obedience for every one of us. Let's pray. Lord... While the word scares us on one level, it is our desire to be, be obedient and follow you. God, we don't always know what that means or what that looks like. But we see in this word, the words of this psalm, we see a way to understand obedience that, that lifts us out of the mire of being stuck and into the adventure of following you by looking back at what you have done and been and what you have made us, who you have made us to be through the work of your Son and his salvation for us. And on the Spirit's call to lead us to a future filled with hope that we fly towards and step into daily in all the daily decisions of our life. God, thank you for your word. Guide each one of us in obedience to you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.